You're listening to Character Crusade number 46. Welcome, everybody, to go. Character Crusade Podcast. Slam that. Once okay. again. Once again. He's um, Stu. I'm Stu. Still. I'm still Joe. And I'm still Matt. Yes, even in 2017, we've decided to keep our names for this year. Uh, they seem to work okay last it was, year. It was a hard decision, though. 2018 yes. could be different, but... Mm-hmm. Yes, it could mm-hmm. be. We'll keep them. It we've renewed them for the year. Yes. <laughs> now, uh, just a, a point here before we get rolling. Um... We here in the illustrious and spacious Character Crusade studio recognize spacious that no, not spacious. Did Specia- I say spacious? Specious. Specious. <laughs> <laughs> we we recognize the fact that uh, what we're doing in terms of live streaming a podcast is I don't know um, perhaps slightly over the top, such as this mountain might represent, um, <laughs> and. <laughs> Uh, we're constantly pushing the envelope on on what we can do. So every time we do this, we, we run into these issues, right, where we, we try some experiment. We have no way to really test it without launching a live stream. So you guys are always our guinea pigs as we try and dial in our process. Sometimes it's smooth. Sometimes it's not. The times when it's smooth are the times when you decide not to introduce anything new. <laughs> so, um, you so know. thank you for putting up with our testing again. Yeah, it's great. It's great. What we've uh, decided to do is, is, is Matt had, had the idea that what we should do is just set up some kind of a secret YouTube account where we can test our own stream so that people aren't getting alerts every time we go live for a test. Because 
Unfortunately, YouTube has a way that we can go live with a private stream, but no way to keep the email alerts from going out when we do that, which is asinine. So anyway. Hashtag thanks, YouTube. Yeah, exactly. So I think, (laughs) yes, and what we've decided is that in 2017, part of Matt's official duties here is to make hashtags on the fly as we broadcast. (laughs) So (laughs) that's going to be his deal. I'll try to to not do that at all. (laughs) Hashtag squeak, squeak, squeak. (laughs) So our live streams are are usually a cluster to be sure. But for those of you who are are listening to this, the the recorded version that will be released the end of this week, um, you're hearing something that's been Edited together, polished and smooth, a a bit more (laughs) polished. Yeah, a bit. We can't. Uh, We can't let something perfectly polished out, or the expectations will be too high. No. Yeah. Yeah. What we've got out there now is essentially in in a in the the Couch Warrior TV YouTube archive is three separate videos pertaining (laughs) to this live stream now, uh, each of which you know has us talking on forty five and all these different things. Uh, like chipmunks, which so, was awesome, by the way. People would like to have a chipmunk episode. I think maybe we could do yeah. a maybe we could do a little three play chipmunk version. See how that goes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh god. Yeah, yeah. It's the Siley helium version. Oh god, it just hurts my heart. It does it hurts <laughs> yeah, my heart? That's... Everything about this hurts my heart. <laughs> Let's not do that. Yeah. Uh, I didn't bring any nitroglycerin tonight, so oh, no, no heart issues. All right. All right. No, no. So, okay. So. Let's – shall we move forward? <laughs> I think it might be time. Let's do that. I Let's, like what Tom Bomber says, though. Hashtag blame Matt. Oh, uh, well, yeah. I mean <laughs> – Thanks, yeah. Tom. The, 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 Thanks. One of the official slogans is, is Matt, you had one job. That's what, like become one of our official I want one, I want a shirt. That's, I'll buy that shirt. <laughs> I'll wear that job. shirt. You had one job. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about some things, what's going on. Primarily, we're going to talk about uh, Patreon. Uh, We'll keep the announcements to a bit of a minimum here, but there are some very important things that we need to talk about. Given the new year, every every time we roll over a new year here, it's an opportunity to change some things up, add some things, take some things away that weren't working last year, and kind of uh, just generally do some midwinter cleaning, I guess. Sure, why not? So, Spring cleaning is way too far yeah, away. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I agree. And 2016 was a great year for us on Patreon. The latter half of the year was. Mm-hmm. Um, things were kind of slow the beginning of the year, but took off later in the year. And we've got a lot of new patrons coming on board. And uh, I think we've got an exciting new set of, of offerings for our Patreon subscribers. And granted, we've been working for a long time to try and dial in the right combination of things. So... Without further ado, uh, first of all, let's let's thank our new Patreon su- supporter, uh, Peter Pan, and uh, we we had a lot of support uh, gained in both November and December. Thank you to all of you who came on board and have mm-hmm. really helped us out a lot. It's tremendously uh, important to keep this thing going and to keep us growing. I think uh, that that's huge. So thanks to all of you. And then uh, we also had a few people who bought gear from us. Thank you to all of you. We've also had people who've given us um, one-time uh, support uh, donations through YouTube. Which is also and, amazing. Thank you. Yeah, it's wonderful. makes a huge difference. So definitely, we, we certainly do appreciate that. Um, so thank you to all of you. Um, as far as Patreon goes, 
We also wanted to just mention that in the past we've tried a lot of different offerings for Patreon supporters and nothing has worked and usually it's been because we're spread so thin doing the doing the podcast and YouTube I like and that all you that. You think stuff. I'm thin now, Stu? Thank you. Yes. Yes. We've spread Matt so thin. <laughs> Um, where was I going with this? Yeah, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> that that we just haven't had time to do it. I mean, yeah, it'd be great to offer, you know, subscribers and supporters mods and stuff like that. But where do you have the time to do that when you're trying to crank out videos and when you're trying to produce a podcast and when you're trying to do tutorials and set up interviews and do panel discussions? How so, many videos did you release over the holiday? Two. And so I think the thing that we want to focus on is finding ways to produce the content that that keeps you all entertained and interested as opposed to, you know, Running fretting constantly uh, over, you know, Patreon rewards. Mm-hmm. So what we've done is uh, set up a new series of Patreon rewards, two simple rewards at $1 and $5, and we've created a new uh, Discord server which you can get to and check out if you want to. You can log into that anytime and engage in text chat with anybody who's on the board. You can go to discord.charactercrusade.com. That'll get you to the board. You can set up a account there, and uh, you can use that through the web, or you can use it on a mobile app. There's all kinds of stuff. We've checked out most of the apps, uh, how they run um, you know, on various platforms, mobile platforms and so forth, and it's remarkable how well it works. So we've set up a couple of different levels. Anybody can log into um, our Discord server anytime and do text chat. If you subscribe or, I guess, decide to support us on Patreon at the $1 level, you will be added to a uh, particular Patreon-related, I guess, security group there automatically you don't have to do anything you just contribute and if you contribute you're added and what that'll do is uh, give you access to more chat tools so you'll be able to do some broadcast chatting you'll be able to um, attach images and embed URLs and things like that so it's a it's a few more features and then if you uh, contribute or support us at five dollars or more then you'll be added to the um, power patrons group and that allows you to do voice, chat. And what we're going to be doing with that is we will be announcing um, over the coming weeks and months um, events that will take place on our Discord server. They can be things like um, Q&A sessions, book clubs, movie discussions, uh, character development workshops, all this kind of stuff. And basically what this means is if you're a power patron, you'll be able to log on to the Discord server and you'll be able to get into uh, a voice channel for power patrons that will allow you to talk back and forth with whomever's hosting that event, whether it's me, Matt, or Joe, uh, or all of us in some combination. So uh, that is very important. Um, And it's an opportunity to kind of engage in conversation in a way we haven't before. Whereas in this particular case, it's kind of a one-to-many type of thing. We're broadcasting, you're listening. It's an opportunity for those of you who want to get more involved and want to, you know, talk kind of one-on-one with us or or in groups to get involved in that kind of activity. But those activities will be based on certain events that we pre-plan and set up some kind of agenda for. We're also looking at the possibility 
of setting up a Power Patron channel that you can log into voice but listen only. And on those uh, occasions, we may uh, do a Discord server-based interview of someone hmm. who might be interesting to talk to. And you can come in and listen in live and use the chat tools and things like that. Now, we're also using the text channels there to create some specialized boards for different projects that are going on uh, with the team here. So there's one there for Ashes where there'll be discussion about Ashes and resources up there. You can click on things you can watch and listen to if you want to get up to date on what's going on with production of that story. And, and we'll have a number of boards set up like that. Okay? So <clears throat> if you're interested in checking it out, you can check us out on, on uh, Patreon. You can go to Patreon, either Patreon or Patreon. Dot charactercrusade.com. Both of those URLs will get you to our Patreon page and you can check out those rewards. And again, if you sign up, all the Discord server stuff is integrated. You don't have to contact us. You don't have to send any special emails. Once you start contributing, you have access. All you need to do is go and set up that account on Discord and you'll be, you'll be good to go. So, <clears throat> very important. Um, Discord's been great. I like yeah. the push alerts. It's nice to know yep. when people are online. Yep. Uh, it is exactly. great to connect with folks who are yeah. on uh, other sides of the planet. Uh, exactly. We've been chatting with some folks uh, overseas for us. Anyway, it's been yeah. fantastic. And it's immediate. I love it. Great chat client. Yeah. So. And that brings us to one other point, which is, which is I think, probably one of the most important things that, that we're going to mention tonight. And that is that we have uh, a new team member here at Character Crusade. And that is Katie Bryson. Applause for Katie. She's Yay, in the chat room. Katie. Katie. Yeah. She's come on board to try and uh, help us manage all the things that we've got going on, um, helping us try to get things up onto the website in a more timely manner. Uh, she's already begun to do that kind of stuff. You can also find uh, Katie's artwork featured on the homepage. If you go to the homepage and scroll down to the gallery there, you're going to find a whole bunch of her work there, and she'll be continuing to post things there going forward. So if you ever have any questions or anything like that and want to reach out to Katie, feel like, uh, feel like you can do that as well. She's on the Discord server a lot um, along with the rest of us. So feel free to reach out to her. Big thank you to her for all of her support and her willingness to kind of Lend a hand to help the ship run a bit more <laughs> smoothly, I think, this year. Absolutely. So, yeah. Thank you, Katie. Yep. It's absolutely a good sign that we've got enough going on that uh, we need to bring on extra help. So we certainly yeah, appreciate sure. that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Okay. So uh, tonight we are going to talk about the topic of St. Elysia. Now, I'm calling it – I'm calling her St. Elysia. Some people say Elysia. I don't know that that matters. I'm saying what I'm saying, okay? So <laughs> now we've gotten past that. And so if, if for those of you who aren't familiar with the lore rabbit hole, uh, the, the way that this works is we pick an individual or a, a topic from Elder Scrolls lore. It can be anywhere along the lore continuum that you wish, right? Uh, older games, newer games uh, from the books or whatever. Most of this stuff is is all tied together nicely in the wikis. We pull something from the wiki and we decide to talk about it. And the discussion ends with some discourse on how this could fit into your character story. Either a character background or uh, be the basis for some kind of concept. Right? Sure. Right. See? Joe agrees. Absolutely. Right. Whatever you say, Stu. Yeah. So... 
Joe, would you mind taking uh, like 30 seconds to kind of introduce to everybody what our topic is for tonight? And then we'll kind of what we're going to do is we're going to dive into the wiki and we're just going to have a discussion about this. And and we've all uh, tried to learn something uh, uh, independently about this character from history. And we're going to talk about this character, what happened in her life and uh, how it affected other events in I guess Tamrielic lore. So, so this is what you get for being a smartass. You get put on the spot. <laughs> exactly. That's how it works. That's called karma. <laughs> Damn it, you karma. <laughs> okay, so tonight, as been not just alluded to, but full out mentioned, we are discussing Saint Elysia from the first era. And let me see if I got something here. So. Elysia is actually super interesting um, in that she's kind of like the foundation of of the Dragonborn, really. Yep. Um, I think you could say that. I find it, and we were talking about this earlier, and, and we'll get back to this a little bit, but I find it really interesting that um, being Netic, which is what the progenitors of the Imperials down in Cyrodiil and all that good stuff... Um, this crossover of dragon blood and with the Nordic hero Talos and the, the voice and the Thum and how the two peoples have really intertwined and, in, you know, from way back mm-hmm. when in their histories. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, kind of my opinion of, is that I don't know if the Nords and the Imperials would be clashing as much if it weren't for the fact that the Imperials basically kind of let the, the elves come in and, kind of tell them how they're going to run things. Hmm. Otherwise, mm-hmm. um, I think there's enough common ground that the two probably would have you know, been just fine mm-hmm. living alongside one, one, uh, one another. Yep. I think that's one of the things that's most <clears throat> compelling about uh, her story for me as well. It was kind of unexpected Yeah. Um, to kind of discover that there was a point at which, uh, you know, the Imperials and the Nords were very close and worked very, very, very closely together to sort of overcome this, I guess, their elven oppressors, if you will. But it was yeah. a long time ago, right? Right. And then it's interesting to see how things change over the course of time and how the Netic peoples went from really being victimized for hundreds of years to suddenly rising to become an empire. Right. And St. Elysia is at really at the core of, yeah. of the Netic peoples well, yeah, becoming I mean, what they are. You've got, <clears throat> excuse me, you've got, uh, you have, you know, the Nords being oppressed by the Snow Elves. And there's the big war going on there. And kind of really you know, at, the, at the same time, mm-hmm. or, or roughly at the same time, you have the, the Netics people being oppressed by the aliads or Iliads mm-hmm. or however you wish to pronounce that one. Mm-hmm. Again, tomato, tomato, but you know what we mean. Mm-hmm. Um, so St. Elysia comes in, you know, of course on the, on the netic version or, or mm-hmm. end of the world um, and is really responsible for uh, freeing uh, the human population from the Iliads. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Which is kind of cool. It is cool. Let's let's okay. Let's talk where, a little bit about where she started. Which from. hole do we want to go down? Yeah, let's start out this. I'm gonna. I'm just gonna read a bit here hmm, from I the wiki. Rephrase that, but this <laughs> this will give us a little bit of context, right? 
So um, we're gonna we're starting in First Era two sixty six, uh, known as the Slave Queen, or Al Ash, and later canonized as Saint Elysia. She was a netic woman during the first era, responsible for ending human enslavement by the aliens. She founded the first Cyrodiilic Empire, became the first Empress of Cyrodiil, and initiated worship of the Eight Divines. Upon her death, she became the first human saint. She is associated with the winged bull, Mora House, which is said to be her demigod lover. Okay, so uh, yeah, it's it's important to understand that uh, the Netic people, as far as I understand it, were native to Tamriel. At least they were in Tamriel before the Nords came, mm-hmm. and the Nords are are coming across, settling in Skyrim from Atmora. Right. By the time that is taking place, the Netic people have been here enslaved by the aliens already for quite some time. All right? And from from what I can understand, the, the aliens could be extremely brutal oppressors and, and extremely depraved as well in, in some quarters. Uh, of course, not everybody is like that, but there's definitely factions of alien civilization that really viewed viewed them more as rather than being servants and slaves as sort of playthings and objects, you know. And there there are stories of, you know, horrific things that were done to these people in the name of art and science and things like that. Really, really pretty sad stuff. So that's the era we're talking about. We're, we're talking about uh, First Era 266, which is a long time ago, okay? She was originally called Al-Ash, which is... Interestingly enough, Ald Mary for the High High, uh, name that was later translated to Alashut, Asha Esha, and most notably Alicia. Okay, uh, the name Paravant, first of its kind, by which the gods meant a a mortal worthy of majesty that is uh, was given to Alicia at her coronation. Um, from Paravant also arose Paraval, Pavesh, Parathu, and Paravania, which is what she was called by Mora House when the two were lovers. The titles of First Empress, Lady of Heaven, and Queen Ot Sirad are also cited by Mora House. So, Obviously, she's got a lot of names. Interesting things to keep track of if you want to dig through books and look for references to her because uh, she can obviously be referred to by a lot of different names. And that stuff can you know, be little Easter eggs in books depending on who the author was, what oh, era yeah. it came from, things like that. I think that's one of the things that's interesting about Tamrielic lore is all the variation that we see, too. You know, multiple right. names for gods, individuals, places. That's why there's some confusion in the lore and history as well, which I think is, you know, it ref- it mirrors what, what we have in real life. Yeah, you know? pretty much. Yeah. Uh, yeah, not everything is nice and linear and, uh, you know. Yeah, cut and dry. <laughs> yeah, and the, one of these is is refers to um, Sarad, Queen Ut Sarad. Mm-hmm. So um, 
what I discovered that was kind of interesting is is Sarad is actually an alien word and then ended up being used as the root of the name Cyrodiil. Cyrodiil. Okay. Right? Which is kind of cool. I think it's interesting that, you know, it's an alien word that that became sort of I guess that well, fed the name of, of what we, we consider to be Cyrodiil, the heart of Yeah, of well I I again I think it kind of mirrors a lot of, you know, actual real life, if you will. It's just I mean so many things are borrowed uh, from mm-hmm. a variety of nations and, and from each other, whether it's, you know, previous oppressors or not. Right. I mean, exactly. You can look at the, the Christmas holidays if you want. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If that isn't borrowed from the pagans, I don't know what is. Uh-huh. Um, but, you know, it's it's been taken and, and warped and, and, and made to be its own thing and Right. It's just kind of how that works. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, earlier when we were talking about some of the things that, that surprised us, the 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 correlation or the sort of the closeness of, of the Nord and the Netic people at this time, mm-hmm. it, it's really interesting how that comes together because what it really is, is it's kind of an example of these Netic people um, being subjugated. And then they see other people who are more like them, people who aren't elves, right. uh, take over Skyrim. And suddenly you have the first, you know, human king. Well, yeah, you have um, mm-hmm. uh, Harold from the Nords. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah. You know, who, who basically rise up and, you know, boots the snow elves out. And yeah. I think the Netics all look at this and go, we can do that. Yeah, it's like it's yeah, like it's almost like an inspiration. An inspiration, yeah. Like maybe trouble had been brewing uh, among these people for a while, but it was the example set by the Nords that led them to the realization that hey, we don't have to accept our fate as slaves. We don't have to be slaves. There's something else, right? Which I think is kind of cool and inspirational, right? And and when the Netic people do decide to rise up, the Nords are there to lend a hand, which I think is very cool. Right, right. Cool part of the story. So For sure. let's talk a little bit more about biography because this will kind of flesh out who she was a little bit more. Uh, little is known of Alessia's early life as a human slave in Cyrodiil, the heart of the Imperatum Salace, I think it's called, uh, where men knew no freedom. Any record of her original tribe, family, or given names were erased but it is fact that she grew up in Sardavar, Lead, known at the time as Sard, where the Aelids herded in men from across all of Nibbin. Then we go to the founding of Skyrim. And again, this is all stuff that's right on the wiki. You can follow right along with this if you want to. And, and I think, again, the objective of this exercise, the objective of the lore rabbit hole is to expose some of these things and then talk about how they could be used to drive a character experience, even in the fourth era, right? Right. So, in the first era, 113, the Nordic king Harold had conquered Skyrim and founded the first human kingdom on the continent of Tamriel. Harold managed to drive the elves completely out of Skyrim, primarily into Cyrodiil and Morrowind, and the human slaves saw the possibility of doing the same to their own rulers. Hmm. At the same time, the Aelid government was severely fractured. Dozens of separate kingdoms 
or city-states constantly fought against each other for power, and a strong minority of alien nobility had become sympathetic to the human cause. Elysia appears to have taken advantage of the period of alien civil war to launch her uprising. So, a lot of interesting little nuggets in there. Well, yeah, I mean... <clears throat> It's, it, how common of a theme can that be, though, with, uh, you know, an oppressing rule, you know, oppress, oppressive rulers, people, mm-hmm. in this case, the, the alien elves, all of a sudden starting to fracture and weaken themselves just with infighting. Um, that's actually kind of reminiscent of some of the, the theories on, on the Dwemer as well that there was so much infighting over the discovery of Ethereum that the strong city-state started to fracture and became weak. Right. Uh, so it's, it's kind of a similar play here where, you know, mm-hmm. they weaken themselves because they right. suddenly couldn't agree. And, you know, whenever that happens, someone's going to jump in from right. whoever's being oppressed. Yeah, yeah. There's the whole issue, right, of um, Elysia's obvious intelligence at launching an uprising at exactly the right time, uh, then there's also kind of the serendipity, the luck of having a strong leader at a time when this, the opportunity presents well, yeah, itself. Right. You know, and it's possible, given what we understand of the aliens, they, they were warlike, mm-hmm. you know, obviously. Um, and, and, you know, I wouldn't go so far as to call them tribal, but they were definitely broken into warring factions. Mm. It's possible that this opportunity had presented itself many times before this, but there wasn't a strong leader Someone. to take action. Yeah, which, which yeah, I think is pretty interesting. that's actually a good point. Mm-hmm. So it, it's, it's really kind of cool. And this is a theme that we see time after time uh, in the Elder Scrolls games, right? Right person at the right time kind of a story. And willing. Um, huh? And willing. Yeah, absolutely. And willing. That's, Dive in to start. Yeah, that's who you are as the Dragonborn, right? You're you're the right person in the right place at the right time who can get the stuff done that needs to get done to change the world. So No pressure. Yep. I, I think Elysia's <laughs> obviously that kind of person. Absolutely. So then we get into a little bit of information about divine help for the slave queen. Uh, to me, this information is is a bit less important but uh, I think it plays into some of the actions that she takes later on after the rebellion is over. Right. So we'll kind of touch on a few points here. It says, at this point in Tamrielic history, Daedra and Aedra were still walking the surface of Nern freely. The divines would often interfere directly with mortal affairs, as can be seen in the Daedric corruption of the Altmer to create the races of Chimer and Orsmer. The Aeliad generally worshipped the Aldmeri divines, but also dealt frequently with Daedric princes for assistance in keeping their slaves in line. The Nords of Skyrim worshipped a distinct group of divines who were much more sympathetic to humanity than merfolk. Elysia began to pray to these divines for assistance in freeing her people, in particular Kinnereth, whom the Nordics called Kine. So at this point, we're talking about the the first era Nords. So they would have been worshiping the old gods. So, you know, Kine was the equivalent of, of Kinnereth right. in the fourth era. But, uh, and goes good on crackers, I hear. Oh, so good. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but not those cheap crackers. No, you gotta, well, gotta no. get the good ones. No, you got to get, get the, the good, good ones. ones. Absolutely. Multi-wheat yeah. kind of. Yeah, exactly. So I think um, what I love about this is it, it speaks directly to this thing we talked about earlier, how not only do the Nords set an example for these people to say, hey, maybe it's not normal for humans to be ruled by elves. Maybe we've just been, this has been happening for so long that we've come to accept it. There's a source of inspiration. But I also like this idea that Elysia sort of takes it a step further and she turns the Nordic gods for help. She starts adopting their religion, which means uh, she's obviously out there learning as much as she can about these Nords, the religion that, right. they, that they're bringing uh, to the continent and all this kind of stuff, and she's very invested in what they're doing. So I think that's pretty cool. So this is the point at which her prayers are answered, right? Kinnereth sent her son, the Nordic demigod hero Morahaus, to advise and aid Elysia. During this period, Morahaus is usually identified as Elysia's lover, though the Song of Pelennel claims he was embarrassed at, the, at, at his appearance because of her. He helped her to rally the other slaves to her cause. For that moment, she was known as the Slave Queen. Kinnereth also sent Elysia visions that would aid, aid her fight against her masters. The third of these visions was another legendary figure of the first era, the infamous Chesarine Pelinal Whitestrake, who was sent to Elysia to become the leader of her army. Um, Pelinal is a character that you hear about it's a, it's pretty least, frequently. There's at least one book, if not a couple. Yeah. And... What I never realized is I had never really explored any of Pelinal's background, and this is the perfect example of a rabbit hole for me because mm-hmm. I I clicked I clicked on his name in the wiki and then totally got sucked into his story because it was amazing. Well, yeah, I yeah. mean, I know the name, I've seen mm-hmm. the books, but I I have never myself mm-hmm. you know looked looked much up either. So right, yeah, right. absolutely. I'm, as I find myself looking more at the Mora House. <laughs> wiki too because there's there's another yeah. character I, I actually had never heard of so yep. um, like Elysia he has a statue in um, in Oblivion okay. Game of Oblivion they've they've got a statue for him in the game Oblivion you mean yep okay uh, the yeah, Elder Scrolls four so wonderful um, yeah it just says uh, well let's see Morehouse also known as Morehouse Breath of Kine or More was a demi-prince with the appearance of a winged minotaur. How scary would that be? Yeah, yeah. a minotaur without wings is scary. <laughs> <laughs> Let alone one that's mobile. What, a cow is scary. Let's face it. Can be. But a, a bipedal cow and a bipedal cow with wings. And oh not just a cow, but a bull. Oh, my gosh. Yep. The stuff of nightmares. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone shelter your children. It's oh, the it's the bipedal minotaur. He is <laughs> a, a cultural hero of the Imperials due to his role in the Elysian Rebellion. Cool. Legend portrays him as the talker of the Citadel, an act of mythic times that established human control over the Nibane Valley. So very much right in the thick of things. Mm-hmm. 
And here's another little bit that I didn't know, but they sired, or he sired a son with her, known as Belharza, the man bull. So okay. got a got a kind of a, a bull thing going on here. Totally. Uh, Emperor Gorius. It's freaky looking. N- rumored to be his grandson. So there's another few names if uh, you wanted to follow those links around. Right. I don't think we're probably going to do that right now. but No, no. Um, but it's worth getting a little bit of background, goes, right? How all this stuff kind of yeah. uh, ends up being connected that doesn't, on the surface, look like it is. Right. Well, in the spirit of, of covering some of these other actors, we, we know that, that St. Elysia was sent two individuals to help her. One was Morehouse and one was Pelinal Whitestripe. So let's take a look at a little bit of of Pelinal's yeah for sure story, um, and, and it'll sort of inform a little bit about him and kind of give you some sense for why I thought he was particularly interesting and perhaps a bit scary. Uh, it says that that he was sort of brought on board to help lead her armies. Um, I think that's in part because he was probably an inspirational character as a he's apparently uh, a fighter who. Uh, had, you know, a long history before this point. Okay. But um, he's also a very scary individual and very single-minded. So it says, In the bloody days of the rebellion, Pelinal was the enemy of all elf kind that lived in Cyrodiil. He took it upon himself to slay the sorcerer kings of the Aelids in pre-arranged open combats rather than at war. The fields of rebellion he left to the growing armies of Elysia and Morahouse. Pelinel called Pelinel called out Horamir of of copper and tea into a duel at at the Tor and ate his neck veins while screaming praise to Remen, a name that no one knew yet. Wow. Yeah. Interesting to say. <laughs> Ate his neck veins. Come, and have, a, come and have a fight. There's a possibility I might eat your neck veins. not the phrase yeah. you hear too often. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then we have Gardhor, the, wow. sh- the shaper's head. Okay. Gardhor, the shaper's head, was smashed upon the goat-faced altar of Ninadava. And in his wisdom, Pelinel said a small... Pelinel said a small plague spell to keep the evil from reforming by well-kind magic. Later that season, Pelinel slew um, Hadhull on the granite steps of Sayatar, the Fire King's spears known for their first... I don't know. Some, some of the ways some of this is written. The Fire King's spears knowing their first refute. Whatever that means. In one year... Pelinal drove the Aeliot armies past the Nibbin and claimed all the eastern lands for the rebellion of Elysia. He freed the slaves of, Vac- of Vatisen and took back the stolen hands of the thousand strong of Sidor. Nothing could stop his march, and when he claimed northern Cyrodiil, Elysia sent messages to the Nords asking for their aid. When they saw the crusader standing at the bridge of Heldon with his white hair gone brown with elf blood, they said the god Shore had returned to this world. Pelinel spat at their feet, 
for profaning that name, nonetheless, White Strake led them west to drive the Aliads inwards to Cyrodiil. Is it fair to say that one might call him driven? I would say so. <laughs> Possibly. Yeah. Wow. I mean, those three couple paragraphs there, I mean, there's just so much symbolism and right stuff to chew on. Right. Clearly right some there. goals yeah. being met here. Well, yeah, and the interesting thing is that uh, the way that the way that this is portrayed on the one hand is they refer to him as the infamous Pelinal White Strike. Which right? is never good. Right? Yeah, and they also claim, though, that he, well, he was brought on board with the idea that he was going to lead the army. But mm-hmm. he obviously said, no, you lead the army. I got better things to do. basically went out as a gunslinger taking out all of the most powerful enemy generals, wow. wizards, stuff like that. Yeah. So he was on a one-man crusade to destroy their leadership at the same right. time that While the they army were all was occupied with the greater yeah. war. The armies are out on the field. He's inviting them out one at a time. Right. Yeah, that is a scary yeah. <laughs> yeah. individual. Mm-hmm. So really interesting stuff out there uh, about that wow. character that you can check out. Um, and so... That kind of sets the stage for the rebellion itself, all right? So we've got we've got Morehouse coming in who's who's providing assistance in, in the way of – in kind of an advisory role, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. And then we've got this other actor, Pelinal Whitestrake, who's out there just wreaking havoc, you know, basically um, assassinating alien leaders in a way, challenging them to single combat and taking them out. So what's going on with the army at this time, the actual rebellion? That brings us to the year First Era 242. Elysia's rebel army finally struck out at their masters. Pelinal Whitestrake, in particular, became legendary for his brutal decimation of the Aeliad army. Elysia herself often had to intercede with the divines on his behalf after the madness <laughs> took him and he committed particularly Maybe atrocious bring acts. bring it down a little bit. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Seriously. Uh, Pelinol, yeah, yeah, hey. Um, yeah. You want to just <laughs> dial yeah, it down? I don't think anyone ever told her to dial it down. It was... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah, so the interesting thing about Pelinol is the, the couple paragraphs that I just read about him earlier, mm-hmm. all of that stuff takes place before the quote-unquote madness takes him. There's a point. That's when he was sane. <laughs> yeah, that's considered to be what happened when he was sane. So, nice. yeah, what Yikes. what actually happens is that at some point during this rebellion, someone close to him is killed. Oh, and from that point, they referred to this thing called the madness, right, where he goes completely ape. Yikes. Mm-hmm. So, it goes on to say the Nordic king to the north wasted little time in joining Elysia's revolt. This is where uh, King Harold, was it Harold? Harold, yep. Harold Nords. steps yes. in, yeah, and, and he starts to provide assistance. And the human armies quickly began to drive the Aeliad out of the populated regions of Cyrodiil. The human strategy was to drive the Aeliad inward toward the White Gold Tower, forcing the front into increasingly smaller circles around Lake Rumar. Or is it Rumer? I'm assuming that's the lake surrounding the White Gold Tower. Right. I haven't played Oblivion, so I don't know. Uh, I, I'm, it's been Imperium so City. long and, and kind of yeah. spotty, so I'm not sure on the pronunciation. Yeah. But that's okay. You all get it. 
They so, get it. Yeah. They're the ones that know. <laughs> it was during this period, late in the war, that the Aeliad king, Umaril, was given control of the Aeliad armies. Umaril, like Pelinal and Morahouse, was of a divine bloodline, having an Aeliad mother and a divine father. As such, he was one of the few able to match Pelinal in combat. To further his advantage, Umaril made a deal with the Daedric lord Meridia and was granted use uh, of Meridia's Aurorans as foot soldiers. Pelinal eventually defeated Umaril, but just barely, and Umaril's spirit escaped to oblivion, where he would wait and return centuries later. The remaining Aeliad kings swarmed down on Pelinal's injured body and tore him into eight pieces and left his head for Elysia and Morehouse to find. Robotic Sausage says that the uh, Lake Ramari is the one surrounding the Imperial City. Yeah, okay. yep. that's kind of what I thought. Okay, so we have the end of wow. Pelinal there. <laughs> and thus ends the reign of Pelinal. <laughs> yeah, but he... <laughs> the uh, reign of terror. Yeah, he kind of ran the table, so to speak. Pretty much. Yeah, really. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's kind of one of those necessary evils, I think. Yep. So <clears throat> that kind of brings us to the resolution of the rebellion and the formation of the first empire. So Elysia's victory over the Aeliads was not possible without intervention from Skyrim, but she had at least as much help from rebel Aeliad lords during the siege of White Gold Tower. The popular image of the Aeliads as brutal slave masters is a fact, but it is less well known that a number of Aeliad princes continued to rule parts of Cyrodiil after as vassals of the new empress of Cyrodiil. Elysia and her successors were more pragmatic than is traditionally believed. See, now I find that really interesting Mm -hmm. in that she would take into high position um, Mm -hmm. basically those of the oppressing race Mm -hmm. um, based solely on their individual merits and not who they belong to as a people. Exactly. And so what I think that does is it illustrates the complexity of, of people, right? Where, you know, when you have a civilization where slavery has just been accepted for hundreds of years mm-hmm. um, there's there's probably a lot of situations right where you've got netic slaves who have uh, lots of respect or possibly even love for their alien masters based on how they've been treated and what their interactions are like and sure. things like that whereas others have been victimized and tortured and mistreated terribly right and they're on the warpath and so when you consider that St. Elysia is really amazing. The, her ability to to tie these different groups together and to say, yes, we're going to defeat, you know, we're going to try to break free from our Aeliad masters, but everybody, please be aware that these Aeliad nobles are helping us, right? And right. We're, we're going to make sure that they're not only part of this rebellion, but they're part of the government. We're going to keep them on the docket. Yeah, exactly. So... I think that's kind of a an interesting thing. It, it is. It if is. if you read between the lines, you, you can start to learn things, or uh, I think surmise things about the kind of leader that Saint Elysia was. 
So I think that's that, and that's important because it's the stuff that you figure out, the stuff that you discern on your own between the lines that will be the things that can figure into your story uh, or your character's right. background or yeah. their belief system or whatever it it's is. It's kind of where the fun of it is. I think so too. So that gets us into sort of the um, the post-rebellion formation of the empire part of the story. And this is where things get interesting in, in a different way. The challenges are different, right? Mm-hmm. So at the core of the formation of the empire was Elysia's belief that she had to come up with a common religion that humans and elves could all rally around, if you will. Uh, and, and it's kind of interesting when you think about it because it it gets at, a, at the heart of some of the conflicts we see in our own world today, right? Where you, you've got people who, th- their their views on on what the divine is or what what God is and isn't are actually more similar than they are dissimilar. Mm-hmm. But even so, they're unable to function together. Yeah, they're unable to get along. Past the semantics of it. Exactly. And so she's got quite a challenge considering she's got two peoples no who are very different, who have very separate pantheons with multiple gods in each. But, I mean, if you look at the, even like you know, the ancient Greeks and the Romans – Mm-hmm. who essentially just had the same pantheon, just different names. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's, it is doable. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Not easy. No, no, <laughs> certainly not. Somehow. We, we all know where those two yeah. groups of people ended up. But, she you know. manages to pull it off. So, um, so it says here, and, and this is, I'm reading right now from the Elder Scrolls wiki. Um, this same information can be found on uh, USP as well. Um, perhaps worded a bit differently, but um, I went with the Elder Scrolls wiki this time around. We we referenced UESP last time, right? And uh, we'll we'll try to alternate a little bit. I think bit. mostly what I found on uh, UESP is um, primarily the books, mm-hmm. so which which are good reads. Um, mm-hmm. Actually, if you can pull up the 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 book text, and if you want open another browser or another tab and go out to the Skyrim book club and ha- he'll read it for you. You can just follow along. It's actually kind of interesting. Nice. Yeah. If you want another reference like that as well, um, go, go to the Elder Lore podcast uh, mm-hmm. by Corey Merchant. There's an episode of the Elder Lore podcast that deals with the rise and fall of the Aliads that talks a little bit oh, yeah. about St. Elysia yeah. and some of these things that happen. Yeah, it's been a while. Yeah, that that's a good one if you just want yeah, a real is. high level summary, but Elysia's first major act as Empress. Now she's become Empress, so the, the rebellion is over, the humans are free, they're forming a new government, and she is dubbed Empress, was to abolish worship of the alien gods. However, she was a shrewd politician, enough to realize that her people had never known any other gods. So we're talking about netic people, humans, who, because they were enslaved by the aliens, had also been worshipping alien gods for centuries, right? Mm-hmm. So she understands that. The Nords violently opposed the alien gods and chiefly worshipped their version of Lorcan, who they called Shore. The elves, however, hated Lorcan, <laughs> whom they called the Trickster, and completely rejected any worship of him. Elysia knew she had to be careful in choosing the official state religion, 
She could not afford to anger the Nordic allies, but her own people could not adjust to the complete Nordic pantheon in just a single generation. Her compromise was to merge the two religions, choosing to keep the less controversial alien gods such as Akatosh and bring in popular Nordic ones such as Dibella and Kinnereth. She sidestepped the issue of Lorcan by having by leaving him out of her eight divines, but identifying him as the missing ninth god. Well, that's convenient. I know. A brother <laughs> wow. to the eighth divine who was otherwise absent from the pantheon. The worship of the eight divines, along with the empire itself, would go on to become the most prominent religion across all of Tamriel. So her plan worked. The assumption, wow. of course, is that in order for it to work, it took several generations of practice uh, and, and sort of indoctrinating people into the concept of this right. new religion. Right. Right? Well, yeah, I mean, it, it, that kind of a change being so huge, mm-hmm. I mean, how, it's not going to happen in one, <laughs> one <laughs> right. decade, even one yeah. lifetime. It's, it's going to mm-hmm. take right. going to take a little bit. Exactly. So I, that's one of the things that I, I think is key to this whole thing is, is understanding how, how smart Elysia was, how good of a leader she was, how pragmatic she was. Well, yeah, the fact that she was able to pull right. in the two different pantheons mm-hmm. successfully, mm-hmm. Uh, even if it, you know, it is over a few generations, right. it was still right. successful. And, and sh- absolutely shrewd when you think yeah. about the idea that she looks out among the people that constitute this new empire and says, I've got to come up with something that doesn't leave anyone out. And that includes the elves that are still here. Right. Which I think is pretty interesting. So that gets us a, li- a little bit of curiosity with the missing ninth. Yeah. Right? You know, there's always a little bit yeah. of, you know, mm-hmm. have to dig in a little bit more. Who's the ninth? Oh, we didn't hear about that. Yeah. It's really interesting to think about some of the arguments that might have taken place across the table with that decision oh, between yeah. sort of the the old guard Nords, right, who have this really strong identification with Shore, and to think that Shore is part of the Pantheon, but not officially part of the Pantheon. Right, right. right? Oh, yeah. You, there's no doubt there was some, mm-hmm. some uh, angry folks on that one. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that gets us into mm-hmm. kind of what happens at the end of Elysia's life? And I think this is where you were mentioning before, Joe, a lot of really important things happen that can pertain directly to the dragonborn uh, in Skyrim. Um, right, right. You know, several eras later, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So let me go through this. Now, this is a part of her story that I haven't read quite as much of as you, so... Uh, I'll kind of read through it, and then you can provide any any color if I'm sure, missing sure. anything here. Near the end of her reign, as Elysia lay dying, she was visited by Lorcan, called Shazar in Cyrodiil. He brought with him a pact from Akatosh, the chief of all gods for Elysia. Akatosh infused Elysia with his own divine blood, then had Shazar place her soul into a newly formed amulet of kings. Akatosh then sealed off the plains of oblivion, which kept the Adra and Daedra from ever walking Nern again. Elysia's soul was bound to this seal, as Akatosh vowed, as long as an heir of his 
and Elysia's joined blood sat on the throne of Cyrodiil and wore the amulet of kings, the seal would remain in place and Tamriel would be safe from oblivion. Thus, from here, the bloodline were called by the Nords of Skyrim as dragonborn. Martin Septim was the last dragonborn emperor to wear the amulet of kings and thereby sealed oblivion forever. As a sign of his vow, Akatosh lit the dragon fires in the center of the white gold tower. Akatosh is identified with the dragon, a symbol which plays a prominent role in, in the Cyrodiilic Empire. Well, it is their symbol, right? I mean, the symbol of the Cyrodiil's Im- imperial army is the dragon that, mm-hmm. that we're so familiar with, right? Uh, so, a few centuries later, King Remen I... Now, King Remen, remember, this is this is the name that many, many years ago they heard Pelinal Whitestrake yell as he was gnawing on the neck veins of some guy, right? He, he speaks <laughs> Remen's name. Shout, no, shouting, shouting yeah. while he was no, eating the neck veins. No, what he actually was saying is it tastes like ramen, but everybody was saying, no, he's saying Remen, I swear. Remen, Remen. It, it tastes like ramen. Oh, it's so overdone. It's fat calamari. It's just so rubbery. Okay, so anyways, uh. <laughs> now he appears. Now, now this oh, King no. Remen I appears. The hero uh, who defeated the Akaviri invasion uh, would formalize the process of lighting the dragon fires and passing the amulet as the rites used to crown a new emperor. Even during the worst periods in Cyrodiil's history, the fires remained lit and kept Tamriel safe until the end of the Third Era, marked by the assassination of Emperor Uriel Septon the Whatever and all known heirs. To the throne, right on, right. So, wow, yeah. The whole concept of the the amulet of kings is interesting to me. But remember, people. I mean, you're you're talking, you know, to a guy here who hasn't played Oblivion. So, um, I have some vague idea. I'm sorry. About this, you're oblivious. That's what I said. Okay, just I, I'm oblivious. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> yeah, I well, am too. I can't. I can only make a joke because I haven't. You know, I, I I think it's fair to say, Brian, that the uh, the the past Elder Scrolls game lore is, is not our strongest. But I mean, that's mm-hmm. also why we're you know doing this, so we, and we can have, dig into it and learn a little bit more about it. And we have a heck of a community on with us on the stream right now that's helping to keep us Honest. straight and give us a little <laughs> bit more detail. So uh, everyone who is there, thank you very much. We're trying to weave that in where we can. We got an awful lot to learn about. Uh, Oblivion lore, that's for sure. Absolutely. Yeah, there's there's so much lore in this, and it's one of the things that I've uncovered when I'm trying to do some research for Ashes is how much I don't know. Uh, it's pretty Oh, pretty there's ridiculous. so much. There's, yeah, yeah, you and me both. Yeah, so... Um, yeah, I love this. I, I, you know, I love, you know, you got the amulet with the, the, the eight divines around the center and mm-hmm. uh, coming right from, what was it, Akatosh? Mm-hmm. Lorcan, of course, you know, mm-hmm. we all know about the heart of Lorcan um, from Morrowind. So, <laughs> yeah, the, the you know, what what ninth god was that? The un something or another? What'd you say that was? Uh, oh, yeah, that that was weird. I mean, I I don't know if I actually followed that, but uh, uh completely, it was something something of, right, they were using to be, kind the of the missing ninth god, the missing yeah. ninth, you know, <clears throat> yeah. 
mm-hmm. in which the Dwemer came in and, oh, you're missing, you're not missing that? We'll take that. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. I had to get called. Oh, oh you're not using this one. I see. Okay. You're not using that hard, are you? Yeah. That's all right. Okay. We'll take that. I think we can do something with yeah, that. Yeah, we have a few ideas we'd like to try. <laughs> Boink. What just happened? Uh-huh. Um, anyway. Yeah, I, again, this is kind of that the, the whole crossover between the the Nordic and the Imperial early histories, mm-hmm. uh, where things kind of you know are a little blurry. Um, I was actually looking back on this uh, whole Morrowhouse thing, and uh, there's an interesting blurb kind of way down here um, that Morrowhouse is often associated with the Nordic powers of Thum and therefore and therefore with Kine, and speculated to be actual offspring offspring of kind although the statement is not necessarily literal due to kind being a god so mm. um there's elysia's lover that's entangled in with the thum right and then there's the amulet of kings right. which has the whole dragon thing so obviously the implication there is that elysia's bloodline contains something of the gods in it because right. of because of the relationship between Morahouse and Elysia, yep. that and that that could be true literally, or right. it could be used as a device to help to to help keep everybody thinking that there was something right. special about this bloodline. From well, yeah, you know. I mean, because you know, as as mm. you just read, it's it's the bloodline mm. in, in combination with the amulet right. that kind of keeps oblivion in check and and seals it off for good. And, right. Well, until. The game Oblivion, where right. <laughs> Mayruns finds a way to breach that, but you uh-huh. know, it happens. Well, yeah, basically that's the story. I think the more interesting question then is, uh, what are some things that we can do with this to fold it into our own gameplay? And to me, this is where the real exciting work happens. This right. is where you can get creative and do some cool stuff. Well, yeah, like I was saying before we started, uh, kind of an interesting thought if you if you think about uh, the the bloodline and the dragonborn, and that in a sense every PC <laughs> could consider themselves a, a rela- distant relative of Elysia mm-hmm. uh, in some way or another. So yeah. that could be a super interesting whether it's something maybe the character knows or doesn't know but discovers along the way. Right, right, exactly. I th- Yeah, there's a lot of ways you could take this, right? I like your thought, right, that a, a person could say, I'm going to go into Skyrim, for example, and I'm going to play sort of this quintessential dragonborn type of playthrough and um, I'm going to play as an Imperial or I'm going to play as a Nord and it's it's easy to say how it, it's easy to see how you might be able to work into your story this idea that you were descended from the Elysian bloodline, right? Mm-hmm. In some way, uh, maybe unbeknownst to you, right? Perhaps, yeah. Um, kind of that popper to, yeah, yeah, right. Like um, we've had gener- generations pass, and it's been sort of forgotten, and we've got. You know, this individual who's way down the chain on some obscure branch of the family tree mm-hmm. who suddenly rises to power, which I think is a really interesting Seventh idea. son of a seventh son. Yeah, exactly. Um, There's a song coming on. <laughs> <laughs> I think you could also you could also do something um, that's focused on the amulet itself, mm-hmm. right? For sure. And you could... 
pick an item that that you know exists in the Skyrim game right. and say that 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 item is sort of the the reincarnation of the Amulet of Kings mm-hmm. or the Amulet of Kings that's been changed in some way or disguised, right? And that acquisition of that tur- turns you down some kind of a dragonborn path or, you know, something like that. It could be simple, something simple and innocuous. It could be could be any number of different things. But that would be one way to pursue it. Right. Yeah, actually. And doing it that way would allow you to really kind of pick anything, whether it's something unique or just uh, yeah any kind of amulet maybe that is in game. If yeah, you, you just could pick up and you can just assign it. Yeah, you could pick something common and say this is going to be it. Or you could go after something that's more unique in the game right. and look at whatever the interesting default properties of that item are mm-hmm. and say that uh, whatever the properties of that item are are in some way associated with this, you know, the change of the amulet. Uh, you know, there are some items, that, of course, like, you know, the Necromancer's amulet, right, that has some right. pretty startling negative effects yeah. to it. You could say that that was in some way a bastardization of the Amulet of Kings and, right. um, you know, play some kind of a dark necromancer type of character that acquires this thing and it's been cursed in some way. Or you could go the opposite route, right? Right. That's, so, that's half of it. The other half is good. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's eight oh, yeah. pieces. I mean, there's all kinds of things. Absolutely, yeah. Why not? So, as, as I suspected, whether it's... Uh, a good mod or not, if you happen to be on PC, there actually is a Amulet of Kings mod, if you so incline. Mm, awesome. Uh, 146 endorsements. I think it was last updated. Nope, 3,000 downloads. 2012, but, you know, it's a simple amulet. It's, mm-hmm. you know, it's... It, it's what they don't tell you is, is that the Amulet of Kings is actually the size of a horse, so it's difficult to wear. Yes, exactly. You need a cart. You need a cart. <laughs> the cart, yes. the cart you of need Kings. You need to get the horse mod it's and the cart mod for cart the Amulet of, of Kings. Cart of Kings. Yep. But anyway. It's going to be huge. Um. <laughs> Thank you for bringing that in. It's going to be huge. Huge. Yeah. That's just huge, guys. Now, the other thing that I think is cool about this is... All of this story obviously sets up St. Elysia as a really interesting and strong historical character. Mm-hmm. And um, I sort of like the idea that maybe all of that information is really just set up. It helps us understand more about who she is. And rather than having a character who is directly associated with Elysia or identifies Elysia as a patron saint or some kind of relationship like that, we have um, a character who is looking at the things that took place after Elysia's death with the Elysian Order and is in some way um, resisting or fighting against some of the remnants of the Elysian Order. Because if you look at it in lore, you'll sometimes, in brief... See, the Elysian Order described as a group of Elysia's followers who went on to rule for centuries and then were eventually over, uh, def- you know, overrun or defeated or deposed, whatever. But if you dig more into the Elysian Order and find out what it actually was, it turns out that it's really more of a cult that was really um, zealous 
in their hatred of elves and staged a coup of the empire, took over the government, and then propped up Elysia as sort of their patron saint, right? Used Elysia's name to promote whatever their propaganda was. Now we're sort of getting Manchurian about this whole thing. Kind of, yeah. When you look at it, because if you look at, you know, and and I think there are people who who might disagree with what I'm saying here, but if you really look at that cult and the values that that cult espouses, to me, they're 180 degrees different from what we hear in Elysia's story about being a good leader and being pragmatic and being open-minded and being accepting. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a group of people who absolutely weren't. They slaughtered they slaughtered elves and they set up an entire government where this was kind of the basis of what they were doing. And they used St. Elysia as sort of a figurehead and, and as a propaganda piece, right? So you could create something around that uh, on either side of that argument, right? Which, which I think is really interesting. So I think it's, it's, it's good to sort of dig deeper into what happens and, and what Elysia's legacy is, in particular with right. the order, um, and, and research that. So I think that would be well, another Well, yeah, I mean, there's, there's a, a character plot there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, someone trying to recreate that Elysian order, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. Maybe they've got a real hatred of elves and they stumble across this and mm-hmm. uh, they want to, you know, bring that back and make it a reality once again. Right. Yep. Um, because they're just delusional or mm-hmm. um, maybe have had this traumatic experience. Who knows? Right. A- absolutely. And of course, the other thing you can do is you can go through all of that history around Elysia and you can pick out other figures that are, are of interest to you, right? So. Maybe you've got a character who is sort of like the reincarnation of Pelinal. Oh, God. Who is sort of <laughs> in search of his Elysia to follow. Right, If right. you will, right? right? And you could do some ideas around that. You could do the Morehouse side of the issue, right? Where he's mm-hmm. looking for his Elysia or um, trying yeah. to pave the way for the coming of, right, right. of the next I mean, great leader. You could throw together your own piece of it and you know mm-hmm. trying to recreate you know for the the next coming of Elysia. Yeah, yeah absolutely. You know, even if there isn't a specific lore piece that says, you know, that'll happen, uh-huh. there's n- nothing saying you can't create that on your own. Right. Okay. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I think what we're going to do is we're going to take a little bit of a break here and then we're going to come back for a brief Q&A. And then we're going to call it a night. So uh, we'll probably take, uh, I don't know, say 15 minutes or so. Uh, take a bio break. Go get yourself something to eat, a little snack or whatever. Uh, think of any uh, questions or comments, things that uh, you might like to discuss regarding our topic tonight. Uh, remember, again, you can post them in the chat, but please put the prefix QUESTION, preferably in all caps on that, so we, we understand that it's separate from the rest of the chat stream. And uh, we'll address those. But we are going to limit our our question and answer time to about 20 minutes or so. Uh, We've got some other things we need to do after the stream tonight. So uh, let's take a moment, uh, a little break, and we will see you back here in about 15 minutes.
<laughs> you didn't really think we were going to leave you with a 15-minute sound intermission here on the podcast, did you? No, of course not. Here we go. Back with it in Character Crusade number 46. Lunatic. Quick, turn the microphones off. Lunatic. <laughs> Lunatic fringe. Did you see the picture I sent the other day of the courier that I had slaughtered on the way? I was like, I, I didn't kill Vander. I didn't kill Vander. I did. <laughs> I didn't see that. <laughs> I was going to see if I could Photoshop Vander in, but I figured that would be the end of everybody's day. All right. I think it is now Q&A time, ladies and gentlemen. I need to... Qua time. Check the... <laughs> Qua. Qua. I've never known there was a sound to an ampersand. That's There's great. There's a sound for everything, man. Yeah. Get your qua on. Get your qua on. <laughs> qua. Uh, we seem to be like, really kind of behind here. Yeah. We've got some leg on our end. What's the deal? I don't know. <laughs> Smooth molasses. Now that is a that's yes. a deep reference. That is a deep reference. I'm okay. impressed. Let's get to this. Uh, Darth Wolf Killer question. <laughs> Laura Croft what... build. Sure, I'm sure someone and will do it. Backstory, build video, and let's play. Any chance? What? I I think maybe uh, Darth Wolf will have to give us that one. We, yeah, uh, we don't have currently uh, any of our number playing uh, any of the Tomb Raider series of games at the moment. No, I, I think he's he's probably talking about some kind of a Laura Croft esque mm-hmm. type of build in Skyrim. So I suppose you could. Which yeah, would be awesome. Sure could. Yeah, make one. Maybe we'll help you promote it. I think the so. story behind that would be very, very interesting. Uh, mm-hmm. In some ways, that's not far from what Inga's been doing. She's been raised in privilege and is now off trying to do her own thing in a scary world, but she's got all the bad, crazy mm-hmm. tools and uh, a mind for digging into craziness, but she's yeah. got her own demons she's dealing with. Yes, and you have uh, recently... Uh dug a little bit deeper where the mods are concerned, right? I have, I have. So it was, what, a year and a half, a year and a half ago, whatever it was when we started this, um, I was modless for a very long time. Mm-hmm. And uh, for a long time, I only had mm, vanilla until about six months ago. And then I started running a couple of mods, uh, mainly so that I could get the House of Troubles running. Okay. Um, but just four or five days ago, the illustrious Joe joined me on a two-hour-long Skype chat, and we did installation of uh, SKSE and SkyUI and four or five or six different mods. Um, A couple of folks, if you're looking on our Facebook page, you're seeing some of the results of those uh, KillCam mods and some of the other things that are in there. It's been fantastic. I think Mm -hmm. illustrious might be a little much, but... I don't know. I don't know. Well, Well, and it fits. And in fairness, you pretty much got the SKS rolling straight from steam off the bat. I was going to take you through a little more complicated manner, but... I was surprised that it, it went as quickly as it did. Of course, <laughs> it, it does It does help that I'm running that monster machine at home, too, because it was yeah, you're, installing stuff in seconds. Your server? So, yeah. <laughs> Come on, now. It's only got 12 gig of RAM right now. Nice. Oh, that's nice. good, though. That's good. <laughs> that's very nice. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, you had that running. We threw in Sky UI just to see what would happen, mm-hmm. and it popped up, mm-hmm. and Matt went, oh, my God. <laughs> 
Yeah, I, it was it was like the heavens opened and the angels began singing. It was pretty this is amazing. So much easier. Well, wow. the, the whole Sky UI experience is fantastic, and I I will admittedly uh, sort of begrudgingly say that if you're not using it, you ought to be. I'm sure everyone else on the stream probably is, but um, the. <laughs> The reality of wanting to get into a couple more mods was because uh, as I've been looking at some of the playthroughs that William is doing and that others are posting pictures of on our Facebook page, just the stories and uh, the quality of the screenshots has just been outstanding. And I just needed to get me some of that. Yeah. Yeah, it's totally worth it. I'm going to back up uh, on this question. And you actually commented off air, I believe. Stu. Hmm. Stu. What? Stu. I was asking Stu questions. Stu, Uh, are you ever going to play Oblivion? Probably not. Probably not. Probably not. You do have like a dozen games of various ilks going right now. Correct. Um, Yeah, the the question was more about the Knights of the Nine thing, right? Right, right. Because the Knights of the Nine DLC goes into further detail about our favorite neck vein chewer and also the Amulet of Kings. So Yes. And of course it would. Um, mm-hmm. But yep. uh, it's it's so hard to find time to go yep. with what <laughs> what's current, let alone um, stepping back a bit. Now, I'm going to put an asterisk on that for myself. If uh, Skywind or Skyblivion comes out in any time in the near future, I would definitely hop on those. Hmm. Hmm. Which are, if you're, you know, everyone probably already knows. But for those who might not, uh, they are remakes using the Skyrim engine of those two previous games. Hmm. So. Right, right. Yeah. So no more potato people. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. I love the idea of that. Although I, I understand there's some mods that help take care of that there are i mean like like skyrim marwin and Mm -hmm. oblivion do have their own mod sections so they're a little bit (laughs) trickier to deal with um just because i mean maybe not tricky i'm just not accustomed to it after doing mod organizer and and, you know that method right um just trying to learn a little bit different way of doing Mm -hmm. that yeah yeah and uh Good news, you know, those of us who've transitioned over to, uh, you know, Skyrim SE can expect to see uh, at least, you know, at least a beta of SKSE 64 coming in March. Which would be great. Be great great to start that transition happening. Yeah. Boy, it couldn't happen fast enough. Props to Cal, a dirty weasel, for uh, throwing that one out there. Mad props. Yeah. Yeah. He was he was scooping that back in uh, back in what? November. Back in it November was, when we did our panel discussion. It was a while ago. Yeah, so anyway. So very cool. Props to Cal. Yeah, now Big that time. I've just gotten SKSE going for my original install, and then mm-hmm. I have a separate install for uh, Special Edition, and I have another character going on Xbox One, so uh, I'm not sleeping a <laughs> wow. whole lot lately, actually. Wow, man. Uh, and my whole kids have gotten into playing on the... Xbox 360. So nice. there's uh, enough use of my Xbox Gold account now that I'm sure Microsoft will be asking me what's going on. Yeah, they're going to be uh, sending you emails like, hmm. It's it's you, time for you to upgrade to a family account. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but the so. kids have been loving it, and they have not seen uh, the updates uh, since we got the other one installed mm-hmm. and upgraded. But I think that SKSE for 64-bit will be phenomenal. Yeah. Excellent. I'm I'm looking forward to that. There are some things out there already that don't require SKSE that modify the HUD, but uh, there's only so much that you can do. Right. Um, 
without having SKSE. Uh, so. We do have a couple questions here about ashes in so far as uh, kind of maybe a rough time frame of when that might begin. I don't know if there really yeah. is one, honestly. Well, uh, it depends on when I'm able to finish the passage. And I know roughly how many episodes are, are left in that story. So I, I would say that uh, we'll see a transition from the passage to uh, the new story, Ashes, sometime in the next three weeks. Two to three weeks, I okay. would say. Cool. Uh, it just depends on how things go. I mean, I imagine uh, an announcement will be forthcoming. There will be an announcement forthcoming, but you never know what's going to happen, right? I mean, I uh, got in and recorded at least three episodes of footage with full commentary and all that stuff and discovered after the fact that I was recording at 720 and not 1080. I thought you were going to say you were recording in Chipmunk. No. No, that hasn't happened yet. <laughs> okay. But it will. Um, this time around, it was that I was recording at, at low res, and pff, it just pissed me off. Like I'm like, okay, I could release all this stuff at 720. It would still be HD, but I wasn't happy with it at all, so I junked it all, and I'm going to re-record all that stuff. The rest of us just say now it's optimized for mobile. <laughs> right, you know. <laughs> So, yeah. Some of us can only. Yeah, I can't. At I, know, I can't right? let that go. Yeah, I'm sorry. I can't let that go. My yeah, my mean, standard is is 1080, and yeah. my your entire community work would process, be outraged. My entire production process is set up around 1080. So, I mean, if it hadn't been for that screw up, we would be three episodes ahead of where we are currently right now. I'm really so. upset that you're not in 8K Ultra HD yet. Oh well, I'm working up to it. I'm working up to it. <laughs> How to play on that new Razer 3 screen laptop. Have you seen that? No, I haven't. <laughs> <laughs> it's humongous. I'll show you in a few minutes. Yes. Okay. No, I haven't what? seen that yet. But 1440 at 144 frames per second. There you go. Yeah, that perfect. would be optimal. Perfect. I'll do that. Thanks, David. He'll work on that. <laughs> yep. It's coming. We're going to have to get more hamsters to power that CPU. Mm -hmm. Well, over the holidays, I got one of those. Atari 2600 emulators that comes with all the games on it. Oh, nice. So I was thinking about, you know, doing a probably doing a role play of 8-bit Pitfall or something like that maybe. You know. That would be this sweet. Per I love that. Perfect opportunity Pitfall. for the Laura Croft playthrough. Yeah, there you go. We'll do we'll do we'll play Pit Yeah. Laura Croft Pitfall edition. Pitfall as Laura Croft in character. On an Atari 2600. Hearing you do her voice will be very interesting. It's going to be great. Guaranteed. These are all connected, Next. by the way, to one laptop. Really? The screens fold out. Holy crap. Yeah. That's seven, ridiculous. Seven, three 17-inch screens. Yeah, it is ridiculous. Yeah. Wow. Yep. I'm sure it's very affordable. It is very affordable, I'm sure, if what you have to do to <laughs> trade for it is like moon dust or something. Yep. Something, uh, something no one can get. Uh, there's, there's some, uh, TJ Knotts is having some trouble recording. I'm not sure what we can, we can offer as far as tips on, uh, recording and for what, for uh, YouTube, for render quality on YouTube, having trouble with video render on YouTube. Hmm. If there's any, I, 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 I don't know. The issues that I had with render quality started with what, what my capture card uh, and local yeah. software we're doing. Uh, I needed to go through and, and change a number of things in order to make that work better. Uh, ironically, one of the issues I was having was one of my HDMI cables was poor. Really? Uh, so okay. I ended up getting a better HDMI cable. That made the signal a little bit cleaner. Uh, I certainly... <laughs> 
I was using a 20 foot HDMI coiled on my desk and I got a three footer that made a really big difference. Um, but also, uh, just changing some of the, uh, render options right there, uh, in Adobe made a huge difference. I don't stream directly out to YouTube. I record everything local. Uh, and then, yeah. So, yeah, same here. I record everything locally and then I've got particular render settings um, that I just kind of figured out through research and have those render settings saved in a little preset, mm-hmm. right? So when I'm getting ready to render, I just go and select my preset. It's got everything set up for me. I set the file name and put it in the queue and off it goes. So, right. yeah, I mean, uh, you just have to take a look at what's in your process and and go through it component by component and figure out What's the best settings you can get, or what's the best settings for you for each one of those? Now, YouTube does not allow you to stream directly in 1080, right? You can stream in 1080. Okay. It's just whether you can do continue yeah. that stream. Okay. Yeah, we okay. don't we don't stream the podcast in 1080 just because I have concerns about bandwidth and stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. And the camera that we're we're using is really set up for 720. So if we started streaming at 1080, it would be because I was. I was fudging it using the broadcast software, and I don't, I don't believe that I have enough faith in the broadcast software's ability well, to do just, that cleanly. It's just adding another yeah. element that isn't necessary. Right. Now, our objective is that on RPG nights, we want to be able to start mm. streaming at 1080. And right, right. we have a, a 1080 HD camera that is designed to take care of that, but it's not fully tested. So uh, until we have it an opportunity to do a test stream and see how that all works out, we won't be able to say whether or not that's going to actually work. But the goal is to have three cameras in the room running at the same time on RPG nights. So, And if it works well for that, maybe we can transition that camera over to this part of the podcast Mm -hmm. as well. Cool. Mm -hmm. All right. What do you guys think about a playthrough all focused around one unique weapon and which one should it be? Armor is also a possible possibility mm-hmm. um yes <laughs> i think it's a terrific idea um, i do too i think the one that actually comes out stands out at first is the ebony sword mm-hmm. uh just the because ebony, it's ebony blade yeah the ebony blade the okay yeah it's yep. uh fairly dark and diabolic but yeah could present some interesting interesting pieces. Uh, now, what what Daedric Prince is associated with that? Mephala? Oh, I think you're right. Is it Mephala? I think so. I think okay. so. Yeah, because she likes to screw around with uh, mortals the most. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you it would be interesting to do a single weapon or a piece of armor or a combination of gear, right? Where yeah, there's also, speaking of Ebony, that um, Ebony Mail. The Ebony Mail. Which uh, would make for interesting play yeah. because it kind of fucks everyone that's around you. kind of does. It, <laughs> it, 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 it's pretty badass. And then if you add to that, I feel, feel like the capper would be like the mask of Clavicus Vile with the big evil horns on it. Oh, I know? like that. <laughs> Ebony Mail, mask of Clavicus, Clavicus Vile, and the Ebony mm-hmm. Blade. Yeah. There's a character with some issues. Yeah, that's for sure. You could go the other way, too, and, and try to do something that was a little lighter. <laughs> a little um, not but, dark. You know, yeah, I mean... Obviously, something like uh, Dawnbreaker mm-hmm. would oh, fit yeah, into yeah. that, but yep. there there is not a lot of stuff uh, available from the Daedric Princes that 
just kind of screams uh, paladin, you know, or good true. character type of playthrough. That's true. Except for Dawnbreaker, yeah. there are, yeah. are other things that you know you could that that seem like they're kind of neutral, but that have sort of a, a menacing appearance to them that makes them sort right. of suspect, right. I guess. But. And I think if you're going to go with a weapon and you can do it, uh, throw in your unique uniques as a mod. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's gonna that's give, pretty cool. It's gonna give what that. is unique uniques? It's basically these one-off type of weapons, uh, such as Dawnbreaker. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, some, of these, some of these weapons just kind of take a vanilla texture and apply it. So mm-hmm. what unique unique does is it actually makes that item look unique mm-hmm. so yeah. it doesn't look like every ancient nordic blade gotcha mm-hmm. yeah so if you if you do like uh the quest for red eagle's bane for right, example right for example when you actually find that sword when you get the sword in the end it looks just like any other ancient nordic blade that you'd find on right. any draugr sure. what this does is it makes that sword look completely unique from everything else in the game so that when you're carrying it around it feels special it doesn't look like you know all every, every Draugr is carrying the same right. sword. So exactly, yeah. No, that, that's a cool idea. I've always liked, uh, you know, the idea of playing around with things like you know Olar's B- Oath Blade. Um, that's one that's in kind of a special location, and it's just a cool looking uh, katana with some interesting properties to it. Yeah, easy to build a story around. Um, so that's a good one. And then I think there's some other stuff that's. Um, less obvious some really kind of funky and unique things that you can find out there that are just really unusual but if you're so, talking about setting up a new story based on or crafted around a particular weapon mm-hmm. um, tell me a little bit about how you would start that playthrough in your mind uh, or is it about finding it is it about you already have it and it's uh, about keeping it is it uh, it could be all of all or any of the above, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, if I were to, to take something on like that, it would be I'd, I'd go and do a little research on the item that I'm interested in, or mm-hmm. a couple of them, see which one kind of speaks to me, if you will, and then um, look to see how you can make that a part of your character's background, mm-hmm. uh, whether it's uh, something he's going to search or something he carries, he or she carries on them. And uses it for only special occasion, um, something similar to, uh, was it the Mortal Blade that had the the dragon? Yeah. I'm, I'm so just thinking about this. So it could those. be just a singular purpose item and that you just make it a part of your backstory on why, why it's special to you. Mm-hmm. Or in the case of something like the Ebony Blade, mm-hmm. maybe it takes your personality over. Mm, yeah. yeah. And every time you wield it, you become someone else. True. Yep. Yeah, I mean, that. I guess that's you. kind of the advantage of, of some of the um, crazier Daedric artifacts. Right. Some of their negative effects present pretty cool opportunities right. for role play, I guess. Yeah. Uh, I think the willingness sure. to have a weapon that you have some personal attachment to, even if it causes some sort of faltering. Right. Uh, in, I in, mean, you could even go so far as, you know, character discovering this item in their mm-hmm. family's history and learns of all the horrible things that it's done trying to acquire this so that they can 
put it away and keep it out of anyone's hands to or keep the, from hurting another person again if you want to take a little lighter side. I like that one. Yep. Or the, that certainly won't happen to me. I'm strong enough. That <laughs> no, won't happen. There's always the fool yeah. party. I mean, <laughs> Mayroon's Razor is one for that, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Yep. Cool. Uh, what else we got? So... Uh, the next one I have in line after the one you just read is from Katie, and she asks, what's your favorite type of cheese if you like cheese? Fellas? Matt? Uh, I, I don't have any. <clears throat> I just get the, uh, the Eider cheese wheels everywhere. Everything else gets <laughs> left. Well, are we, yeah, I mean, are we talking, talking about game, or? game cheese or out of game cheese? Cause, you know, See, because if we're talking out of game cheese, I will be the guy that goes with the Danish brown cheese. Okay, Danish brown. Yeah, kind of a, just a classic sharp cheddar. Nice sharp cheddar. I like Gouda. Gouda is good. Mm-hmm. Yep, they've all got very different yeah, uses. Mm-hmm. Brie is nice. Yes, they do. Nice on crackers. Mm-hmm. Yep, mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, yep, great at parties. <laughs> <laughs> Great party. <laughs> just, just you know, the idea that most people have issues with cheeses that have potent smells. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe that's right. why it isn't so bad that we're running into you know pork or tusk in the game and stuff. It doesn't seem so foul. Right. Uh, right. We had a long, somewhat drawn out chat on uh, Discord the other day about some of the things that we've eaten around the world. Now, cheeses mm-hmm. didn't come up. Oh, was that the, is that how the, the nasty fish thing came that up? That is how the nasty fish thing yeah, came up. I don't I, remember what it was called, but I read through that too. Yes, I, yes. I read through that. Uh, I was late to the party, so I kind of trolled it a little bit and read through <laughs> it. And, yeah, that just looks like nothing I want to try well, at all. I, the, the, you know, of course, what they pulled out on the video looked like, you know, old rotten sneaker. I, what I was eating was not even anything <laughs> like that. I will admit uh, that it was, it made lutefisk taste like candy. Uh, Although I, I will wow. admit how simplify, simplify, um, you know, couched it is that you know, with you know onions and stuff like that on yeah. crackers and stuff. It didn't sound quite as bad if no. you're if you're pairing it up with other fairly strong flavors. And most people who I uh, was with while we were eating it that day were fairly loaded. I think you'd need to be. That would yeah. certainly help. Yeah. But yeah, it's it's just part of the cultural experience, right? And it's hey, well, well, we'll yeah. not skip this part of the, the traditional, you know, autumnal true meal. Enough, true enough. Only do it once. That's all I needed. Where? There's obviously they sell a lot of it. Maybe it's maybe it's like a joke, right? People well, buying Mexican jumping beans. You know, we've got spam. So. I mean. <laughs> There Spam is like birthday cake compared to this. Well, stuff. No, I'm, not, I'm not saying that they're 100 percent comparable. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I think ladies and gentlemen, the this question. is a great endorsement of the kinds of things you're going to experience on our Discord <laughs> on our server. <laughs> so, if you want to talk about gross foods and cheese, you get on there immediately. <laughs> In fact, I'm pretty sure there's going to be a thread on there this evening that has to do with ramen and neck veins. Probably will. So, hashtag neck vein. Exactly, yeah. Well, he's doing his job. He had one job and he did it, Dan. Yeah, I'm out of here. Okay. Well done, Matt. Well done. Question, what is the title and artist of the song you play at the end of your podcast? No app can identify it, and I would love to buy it. Thanks. Well, the fact is <laughs> wow, very that uh, we can't identify it either. Uh, <laughs> the song is called Busy, and I have no idea who wrote it, who performs it. It, it comes from... Uh, it, it comes from 
epidemicsound.com. It is a piece of royalty-free music. And the interesting thing about it is I liked the song so much and uh, tried to locate it in their library and couldn't. And I originally heard the song in a promotion that Epidemic Sound did for their service. Oh, funny. And so in order for me to get my hands on the song, I had to go into the web page, into the ad, hack the URL, dig through the source code until I found wow. the source for the song, and then download an app that would allow me to download the MP3. What, I mean, so <laughs> it's... I had to I had to do a, a lot, lot of work, work. to get at that work. song. But the song is called Busy and it it comes from Epidemic Sound and it is performed by one of the artists that's part of that stable, but we have no idea who because it doesn't come to us through the traditional uh the traditional method that we we use to acquire uh music from from Epidemic. So. I'm kind of wondering if it's that everyone loves the original or if they love our version of it. Uh, well, we, we, we try to get the intro in every podcast. Well, is he talking about the intro song or the Bow. outro? I, I thought Bow. the outro. Yeah. No, 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 no. Yeah, that's the outro. Yeah, that's yeah. the outro. Yeah. yeah. We we haven't played with that at all. It is standard. It's just as as it came. Um, and, and that's all I can tell you. I really don't know. I'll do a little digging and see if there's anything I can find. I, uh, I can't yeah, guarantee you, but I'll see what I can do. It's not likely, but you can give it a shot. Um, blah, 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 blah. You would think that the epidemic people would be happy to sell some stuff. You would think. And this isn't the first request we've gotten for it. Because it would make, you know, an awesome, hey, you've got a new message from Character Crusade. Sound. Yeah, it would, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Okay. <clears throat> Any other questions? I see lots of things about uh, cheese. It's just whatnot. the kind of thing that we'll go um, through to get good content to our people. Yes. Okay. More questions, people. Not too we've many only, more. We've only got about five gonna, minutes yeah, uh, left on our cue. Short, but what did you call it? Our qua? Our qua. Qua. Five minutes left on the qua. Yep. Five minutes of qua remain uh, <laughs> if you want to get in on this hot qua action. <laughs> Just had a uh, Galaxy Quest thought. Uh-oh. Caw, caw, Jason, look out. <laughs> They're right behind you, Jason. <laughs> you guys ever watched the show? That was a great, uh, that was a hilarious movie. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess it might be good for us to spend at least a little bit of time talking about what's coming up this in, in, in this, this quarter, okay? It is 2017, and we haven't had a chance to really talk to uh, talk to you guys directly about what our plans are. We are going to be changing our format just a little bit. Uh, obviously, this is our first official Character Crusade podcast of 2017. We did release a CC45, which was just um, kind of a, an, an edited sound edited sound clips. Um, produced from a live stream. It was a live stream Q&A about Ashes. So there's a 45-minute episode 45 that's just about Ashes. Um, but going forward, our plan is that we will be having a podcast like this, a green screen podcast once per month. And uh, in the alternating podcasts, we will be doing a live stream without the green screen, probably from a different studio entirely, where we will be actually gaming. We'll be playing a tabletop role-playing game, and there'll be uh, microphones and many cameras in the room, and you'll be able to follow along. There will be chat going on during uh, the play, 
using uh, Discord, and we will be streaming on YouTube as well. Uh, and then those will be recorded and made available for people to watch after the fact as well. And then we will be sprinkling a number of other things in there. So if we decide to do some events uh, individually, some live streams, things like that, that stuff will be coming out as well. will be added to the podcast stream as well as any events that we host uh, on voice, on the voice channel, on the Discord server. That stuff will be coming out as well. So there's going to be a lot of stuff happening. I think overall there will probably be more happening uh, than there was on a recurring basis in 2016. But it will be more diverse uh, in its form and the way that it's presented. And for folks who were not on at the very opening of the podcast where we're talking about Discord, uh, visit Discord dot charactercrusade.com I'm sure we've got a link on the homepage somewhere as well uh, I did add it in the chat for folks who are looking for it um, there are some uh, additional perks on discord for folks who are patreon supporters would love to see you there as well uh, that chat is lively and I think the servers up all the time so if you bump into somebody out there who is actively chatting then uh, you've met one of the community so that'll be great all right, I just put up the URL for our Discord uh, our Discord server. It, you can get to it by going to discord.charactercrusade.com. That'll take you to the board, set up an account, and uh, you'll have access. If you want to have enhanced access, again, uh, supporting us on Patreon will give you enhanced access. At the $1 level, you'll get enhanced text access, so you'll be able to add URLs. You'll be able to upload images and stuff like that. If you uh, contribute to Character Crusade podcast at the $5 level, you'll be able to also engage in the voice channel where we can have voice discussions and all talk to one another. And that that is at the power patron level. I was really surprised at how good that was. Mm -hmm. I've been so let down by a lot of voice chat Mm -hmm. systems. This was really good. Absolutely seamless. It's one-click voice chat. Boom, you're done. And uh, we we had a voice chat earlier this week where there are three of us on. Uh, two on computers and one from a cell phone with earbuds worked nice. great. You know, it was mm-hmm. just ideal. So we're going to be looking at ways to record that content and produce pieces of it or take pieces out to put into podcasts, uh, which I think could be really interesting and compelling. So mm-hmm. should be cool. Join us on Discord. Uh huh. All right. Last call. Any other questions here? Um, we will do our best to keep the calendar up to date when we can on the charactercrusade.com website. Anytime we have events, we'll try to get them also published on mm-hmm. our Facebook page and Twitter and wherever else we are uh, invading your social media. And um, thanks to Katie Bryson for artwork, for helping us with the website, for all kinds of fun things. I think we're moving on to Pinterest, right? As well, yeah, yeah. Katie's so. got us all set up with uh, a board on Pinterest now as well. Nice. So if you wanna, you wanna share things about what's going on with Character Crusade, you can you can uh, find some stuff there. So we're out there. We're uh, trying to be where happen. you are. So yep. Anyway, that is going to do it for tonight, guys. We definitely appreciate you tuning in for our per- first podcast of 2017. And there is much more uh, lore fun, excitement, and interesting things to come. So thank you for tuning in. Good night. Later. Bye-bye.